0: Jesus has a heart for you. He came to rescue us from darkness, to bring hope to the hopeless, to reconcile marriages and families, to make the dirty clean, to heal the broken-hearted, and to give us new hearts. These are the things that make Jesus' heart beat faster. Good morning. Yes, there is a basketball goal on the stage, and I do have a basketball under my arm, which is somewhat funny anyway that I would be holding a basketball because I'm not very good at basketball. But hopefully in just a moment, this illustration that I'm about to do makes sense to so be praying for me. This isn't a train wreck. and you actually leave here understanding what I'm talking about? All right. Welcome to Connection Church. We're glad you're here and uh, looking forward to today and looking forward to what I believe God has in store for us. Um, If you're a first time guest, man, especially glad you're here. Um, Just praying for all of you that God would move deeply in our hearts and do incredible things in our lives. I want to take just a minute, one, to remind you that next Sunday is a big day. It's going to be an awesome day. Um, Next Sunday, we are doing baptisms. Uh, Immediately following the service, we're going to leave here, and we're going to splash in the burrow where we'll be um, dunking people. There'll be plenty of water. Listen, here's here's, uh, what I would tell you. If you're a believer in Christ, and you have not been baptized as a believer in Christ, your next step is public profession of your faith through baptism. Very simple. It's an opportunity for you to go before the church and say, I am a follower of Jesus and my life is devoted to pursuing and following him. So if you have not done that as a believer, I would encourage you to stop by our next steps table, sign up, call us this week, send us an email, whatever you'd like to do. But um, take your next step of faith and get signed up. to be baptized next Sunday. Immediately after the service, we're going to have food, we're going to have a great time of fellowship, and we're going to celebrate baptism as people publicly profess their faith in Jesus. Um, real quick, too, I just want to take a minute and just um, share my heart for something. Um, this past week, Monday night, um, I had the opportunity to go and speak at a revival at a little church in Hagen, Georgia. Hagen is kind of connected to um, Claxton right there not too far down the road and I had an opportunity to go speak there It was a great time um, Very, very sweet people um, But one thing that Susan and I talked about As we left Hagen and we were headed back to Statesboro Is just how much we love being here um, It was nothing against the, the church there But man, I love this church And it is absolutely awesome For every Sunday, almost every Sunday um, Except for when I take a Sunday off here or there To be able to speak to you guys. And I want to tell you, like, there is a life, there is a vibrancy to the faith that's in this congregation that makes it so much fun to preach here. And so I just say thank you that I get to do this every day and that for, sorry, every Sunday. And for some reason, you keep coming back. So it's an awesome thing. And, uh, man, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you and what God's doing through this body here at Connection. My goal every Sunday is pretty simple. My, my, my heart and my goal is that in some way I would stir your affection for Christ. That in some way um, you would leave here wanting to know him more. That regardless of the topic, um, you know with me, it's typically going to come back to a man on a cross. who died and he was buried and three days later rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. Sent the promised Holy Spirit to live inside of us that we could live a life that's extraordinary, the supernatural and the power of God and that we could be used to change the world. And listen, um, my goal in my heart today is that your affections for him would be stirred, that when you leave here today, um, your heart would be, be changed even more to be in the likeness of Christ and that the, the, the root, the core of your life would grow deeper and deeper into the grace of God and that that grace would infuse every area of your life, we're going to continue week five of heartbeat today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter five. We're going to read verses forty-three through forty-eight, and then we're going to jump in. Um, are you ready? Are you excited today? Are you you ready to go? This is going to be awesome. You're going to help me preach this message, right? Right. I'm going to preach better if you're engaged. If you sit there and stare at the ceiling, I'm going to stop and just stare at the ceiling. And at twelve thirty, we're going to dismiss. So it's going to be fun. Let's have a good time. And it's the word of God. Today is a great day that the Lord has made and he is going to do incredible things in our presence here today. Matthew chapter five, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. And then listen to this verse. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In the context of love and even loving our enemies... God says to us, be perfect, therefore, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity, God. I pray that in the next few minutes, Lord, you would um, just stir our affections for you, that your word would be living and active, that it would cut to the core of who we are, that it would remove everything that is not of you, Lord, and that we would surrender, walking out of here full of your spirit and empowered by your grace to never be the same again, God, that we would be beacons of light that shine brightly in this community and that, God, we would be used by your spirit to invite others into a relationship with you that changes every aspect of their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you know whose birthday it is today? Whose birthday is it? Michael Jordan, MJ, right? And in honor of Michael Jordan, I thought I would display a little bit of my basketball skills. Not really, that wouldn't take very long. But, but literally, let's get to the point of it is that Michael Jordan was and is the greatest basketball player ever played a game. Amen? Would you agree with that? Yeah. And some of y'all are thinking, Kobe. Michael Jordan was better when he had the flu than Kobe Bryant on a good day, right? If you saw Michael Jordan play in his prime, raise your hand. Some of y'all are too young. You're like, hey, Michael Jordan, I heard about him. Wasn't he on a movie one time or something? And. Michael Jordan was the best basketball player to ever play the game and I wanted to just show you just a little something and since it is his birthday and everything that the dunk that Michael Jordan did in the in the slam dunk contest when he won it he jumped from the free throw line and dunked the basketball and we measured it out actually measured it out today just to give you an idea it would have been him running and jumping from right here where I'm standing tongue out and dunking the basketball that's pretty amazing right anybody that can do that come on up here I know nobody can do that and, and here's the thing though I loved watching Michael Jordan play I never played a lot of basketball I played some in the backyard um I got where I could spin it on my finger a little bit that's about the best I ever got with basketball I did play one year um when I was 10 years old and one year was enough I fouled out of just about every game in the first half we figured that. Um, you know, that probably football was a better fit for me or um, maybe just, you know, like schoolyard fighting or something like that was better because I I just I fouled out all the time. I mean, I would get fouls and I'm like, what I do? And they're like, that was just too violent. I don't even know if you that, but that was just too violent. And so uh, basketball was not my sport. But I remember there was one time when when I was 10 years old, um, we, we I actually got into the game and there was an opportunity. Um, I wasn't very good at basketball, but I could always kind of anticipate when the other team was going to pass it. And so I see the guy, he's going to pass the ball, and then I break in, I tip it with my finger, I knock it down towards the other end of the court, and I start dribbling. And, and, And amazingly, I dribbled it all the way to the other end of the court. It didn't look good, but I got to the other end of the court, and I'm looking up at the basketball goal, and I'm thinking in my mind, I'm about to dunk this. And I'm running full speed, never done this before in my life. I'm running as hard as I can. And then I realize, okay, that goal is really high. I'm not dunking. And so I come to a place where finally I'm like, I'm just going to lay it in. One of the most embarrassing moments in my entire life. I go to lay the basketball in, going wide open. It hits off of the top of the backboard. And no joke, in a full-size gym, almost hit the rafters, (laughs) almost hit the ceiling of the gym that we were playing in. One of the most embarrassing moments in, in all of my life. And, and there were times in high school where we'd be horsing around and, and we'd get a basketball in, in, in this high school in the old gym that's still here. And some of my buddies and I, we would get together and we'd be like, I'm going to dunk the basketball. And we'd go up and i dunk the net. You know what I'm talking about? That's about as high as I could get. And i try and i try and i try and i continue to try to dunk and I never could dunk. I mean, I can't even palm the basketball, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of hard to dunk if you can't palm the basketball. And, and so I would try and I would keep trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and trying to dunk the basketball and I'd work out and we would do things and we would come back and I'd be like, surely I can dunk the basketball. And I'd try to dunk the basketball. It was so frustrating because I couldn't dunk the basketball. Anybody ever been there? Like, you, just one time in your life, you wish you could just do like a Dominique Wilkins double pump back. You know what I'm saying? Anybody even know who Dominique Wilkins is? Some of my old people, yeah, thank you. You raise your hand. You're old, and so you get to this this point. Where you say, "I'd give anything to dunk the basketball." And and how frustrating would it be to go after day after day after day after day, and you're trying to dunk the basketball, and you just can't dunk the second basketball, right? I was trying to reach this goal that I could never reach, I could never attain. And I was thinking about Matthew 5.48, and I'll tell you this, that for a large part of my life, Matthew 5.48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, felt a lot like me trying to dunk a basketball. That I would day after day after day after day after day after day try to achieve a goal that I could not achieve. I would work so hard, so hard. I would do everything I possibly could to be a good boy for God, to make everybody around me happy, to please everybody around me. And yet I just couldn't get to the goal. And here's the thing. Sometimes I would get a little closer than others, but I just couldn't quite get to the goal. Anybody ever felt like that, that you just couldn't quite achieve what you wanted to achieve? Anybody ever, come, come on, it's okay, we're in church, we can be honest. You felt like that. You wanted to be a little better, but you just couldn't be better. This is what I found about most people. Most people don't wake up every morning going, I hope I'm a loser today. Right? Most people don't wake up in the morning and go, I hope I can screw my life up forever. In fact, most people... They know what they want to do and they know what they need to do, but they lack the power and the conviction to be able to do it. Amen. Y'all look at me like y'all don't know what I'm talking about, because the truth is we do there's, we want to live a different life, but somehow we just can't live it. We want to be good. But we just can't and then we become frustrated and it becomes difficult and one of two things happen Can you imagine if I stood under this goal day after day after day trying to dump the basketball trying to slam it One day i'm gonna get there and day after day I tried that and it never happened one of two things or maybe both are going to take place number one I'm, just going to be frustrated and ornery And number two I'm going to walk away from the goal I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to give up. I may act like it's okay. But in my heart, I know it's not. Because I've never achieved the standard of good that I know I was created to achieve. And for some reason, I just can't seem to get there. Does that relate to anybody in here today? I'd love to. But I just don't seem to be able to. So many of us as... Christians and, and even as unbelievers or even as believers, we live a life that's frustrated with God because He seems to have set a standard that we just can't get to. It seems like no matter how good we are, it's never good enough. How many of you know that God's goodness is not the same as what we often equate to good? Amen? That God's standard... Is a little higher than a lot of times what our standards are. How many of us have ever looked at other people to set our standard by? We've watched the world around us. And, and as long as we could be a little bit better than what's around us, we we could feel better about ourselves. We We would set a standard of what is good. But this is what I would tell you is that God's standard of good and our standard of good don't equal out. God's standard of good is different from ours. I want you to understand this. And I was praying about how in the world could I possibly help you see this even more. Is that God, God's good is higher than ours. God's ways are not our ways. There's a different standard for good that God has. And I went back to Genesis chapter 1. And I began to read. And I want to read a couple of verses to you out of Genesis 1. As God began to create everything. Because when God created everything, He said what? It was good listen to this when god said let there be light and there was light god saw in verse 4 of genesis 1 that it was good you go on down and in verse 9 he created the sky and he and he set the dry ground and he separated them and it appeared and god called the dry ground land and in verse 10 he gathered the waters he saw called the seas seas and he saw that it was good good When he created the plants and the trees and everything, in verse uh, uh, 11, he begins to create those. And then in verse 12, it says that God saw that it was good. You go on over. He makes the sun. He makes the moon. And then in verse 18, he says the one was to govern the day and the other the night. Um, And then he says um, to separate the light from the darkness. And then he says, and God saw that it was good. Good. And he creates the living creatures that would live in the water and the birds would fly across the sky. And then you get down just a little bit further to verse 21. And God saw that it was good. Flipping on over. God created the livestock. He created them according to their kinds. And he created all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kind. And it says that God saw it was good then you get down to verse 31 after God creates the man and God creates the woman and you get down to verse 31 and he says that it was good but he also adds something in front of it and he says this he said it was very good right very good but what was the standard of good what did that mean it didn't mean like you and I would say man that was a good steak right although steak is very good thank God he created livestock right is good it wasn't like we would go see a movie and then come back and say that was good when god was saying it was good it literally meant the word there that he uses for good literally meant that it was perfectly suited for his purposes it was perfectly suited for his purpose, purposes it means that he created it perfectly. It was exactly the way it was supposed to be. It was exactly the way it needed to be to fulfill his purpose, which for us was to be created for his pleasure, to be in a relationship that brought him glory and was for his pleasure. So this is what I want you to see that in Genesis 1 and 2, that that when God created everything, he created it perfectly. He created it good. And you and I were created by God for his purposes his pleasure. And we were perfectly created for that. As you come in here and you begin to read about God's creation and how good he was and how good he created everything, we can see a couple of things. We see one, God's intent. It was good. We see that God's heart, it was good. We see that God had power to do what he intended to do. And he created us in a way that was good. I got to get rid of this basketball here. Wake up over there. So you come to chapters 1 and 2 and as you read the Bible, you begin to see, you can even feel this this harmony that was in the creation. You can feel the peace that existed between God and man and creation. You can see the order and feel the order of this paradise that God created out of good intent and good heart. But then what happens in Genesis chapter 3? The fall. Sin. And as you read chapter 3 and you see how the serpent, the devil, that's why I don't like snakes, man. It was the devil. And you see how, how they come in and he comes in and he begins to undermine the word of God and he begins to make them doubt does God really have my best in mind have you ever been there when something in your life happens and some of the things maybe you're going through right now begin to make you doubt is God really good I would tell you if you're wondering about that how do you have faith when you're when you're when you're going through stuff go back to Genesis and look at God's heart go to go to the gospels and look at God's heart for the cross because God comes and creates it all as good When we come and we read and we begin to see this, that that sin enters man and chaos takes the place of peace. Disorder takes the place of order. And this separation begins to exist between man and between God. Because when sin entered the world, something happened. Man could no longer fulfill their purpose for which they were created. Do you see that? That sin took them out of their purpose. And the Bible says that they knew that if they ate of the tree of knowledge, that they would die. If they were disobedient to God, they would die. How many sins did it take for them to be separated from God? One. How many sins did it take for them to die? One. We come to this place where we see that the Word of God is true, that they died. One of the questions I get... All the time is this, but Adam and Eve didn't die. They ate the fruit and they were still alive. But this is the thing I would ask you when's the last time you saw Adam and Eve? You weren't going down Main Street this week and saw two people running around in fig leaves like if you did, they're freaks and you need to call the police because they're dead. And not only did they die a physical death, but at that moment they died a spiritual death. And this is why. They were separated from their source of life. They can no longer measure up to the standard of good. And so they had to be separated from God. There was no way for them to ever measure up again to God. They couldn't stand there and jump and reach and strive to reach their goal the way that, that, that they would have to in order to ever make it right with God. It was too late. It was done. Their fate was sealed. And they were separated from God forever. Physically they died. Spiritually they died. And here's the reality that you and I have to come to. We've got to come to the reality of this. That through the sin nature that we inherited from our great, 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 great grandparents. To the sin we've committed ourselves. We too. Die. I would wonder how many people in here today would agree with me that many times it's easy to feel more like you are dead than you are really living. That even as a Christian, there are times when you feel like you're existing and not truly living. The Bible says that when they sin, they die God goes on and he begins to speak to him. How many of you are glad that the Bible didn't stop in Genesis chapter 3 where it says in verse 13, Then the Lord God saw to, said to the woman, What is it that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The end. End of the story. Right? Aren't you glad that God had a plan? In Genesis 3.15, we see that God had a plan. He says, I will put enmity between you, and he's speaking to Eve and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. We see from the very beginning of sin that with God's good creation, his creation with a perfect purpose, and and, and with the, the perfect ability to fulfill that purpose, was destroyed. God didn't give up. But he had a plan. And we see right after the first sin that God begins to work his plan. And he says, there will be one who will be born, who will come, and he will strike your head, Satan. And he will defeat you, and he will beat you, and he will overcome you. And I will destroy you. And again, I will restore relationship back to my people and, myself, and we see that He promises to crush the head of this serpent, this deception, this sin, and this death that separated His people from God. The next thing I want you to see is this. In Genesis 3.21, you begin to see God's mercy. And you begin to see His plan of redemption for His people. Genesis 3.21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothing. Let me ask you this where did he get the garments of skin? An animal, right? Something had to die. But is it not amazing and is it not awesome that in the midst of chaos and the world falling and God's creation being destroyed that God looks over at an innocent animal and he says, I see the shame of my people and that's not going to work. I see their nakedness, I see their nakedness, and every time they see it is a reminder of their shame. So I'm going to kill this innocent animal. I'm going to shed his blood and then I'm going to clothe them and I'm going to cover them with this garment of skin. That cost this animal its life. I would tell you that this is the first sacrifice that was ever made to cover the sin and the shame of God's people. And as soon as sin happened, God's mercy began to be put into place. So that we could come back to a spot and a relationship with God. In which he would one day cover our sin and our shame by paying for it on a cross with the ultimate Sacrifice. That's the first sacrifice we see in the Bible... And then there's thousands and thousands and thousands of years where, where people, the Jewish people, the people of God, are trying to make sacrifices to God. They're constantly trying to elevate themselves to the goal that God would have for them. They're constantly trying to elevate themselves, make themselves pleasing to God by killing animal after animal after animal. It's been said by historians that during the Passover feast uh, that the Jews would celebrate that, that that God had passed over their sins um when they were in Egypt and, and they, were, they were taken out during the exodus from Egypt that they would go and every, every year they would celebrate and they would try to atone for their sin and there would be so many lambs slaughtered in the temple that the blood of the lambs would literally be rolling out of the temple flowing out of the temple down the steps of the temple because so many animals were slain. Do you see how mankind was trying their best to try to make themselves equal to God and yet how in vain it was you see that all of the bloodshed and all of the things they were doing couldn't elevate them to the place of being reconciled to God the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10 says this Hebrews 10 in verse 3 this is where how he says it. He says, But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. In other words, he's saying, listen, it's great to bring all this stuff in. It's great to make all these sacrifices, but the best they can be for you is a reminder of your sin. How many of you would like that? That you just wake up every day and you get reminded of your sin. And yet that's sometimes and many times how we live, even as Christians, that we wake up and rather than walking in the grace and the power of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins, we wake up and there's just a reminder of sins that we once again get to try to achieve a goal and try to Wipe out all of the bad things we did by doing enough good things. And so many times we live day after day after day. And he says, but the blood of bulls and goats can't take this away. If you look over in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. It says every day he stands and yet he makes sacrifices that can't take away sin. I read this again this morning and I was thinking about how many of us, every day of our lives rather than walking in the grace of Jesus. We come to a place where we like the priest stand and we perform and we try to put on a good face and we try to look good and we try to do all the right things to elevate ourselves to a place where we're okay and it doesn't work and we're frustrated. So day after day after day after day we stand and yet we can never attain the goal that we're after. We can never get to that place That we know we desire to be. We can't seem to find peace with God. We can't seem to find peace with ourselves. And we can't find peace with those around us. And day after day we stand. And listen, we do our religious duties. How many of us in here, we're not living in Christ. We're just doing our religious duties. We're not enjoying our relationship with Jesus. We're just like the priest standing and doing our religious duties. That can never take away sin. Therefore make it where we can never please God. Therefore make it where we can never become good enough. Making it where we can never have life. And So in our own lives we're still just dead. Because every day we stand and perform. And we try to do it without the grace of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. This is one of the great buts in the Bible. It's a great but. There are several buts in the Bible that if it weren't for those buts, our but would be in big time trouble. This is one of them. Verse 11 day after day, the priest stands, and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. And it says, But when this priest, who is this priest? Jesus, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Do you see the difference in that? When this priest came, Jesus came and he offered the sacrifice once and for all that would forgive all sins. He didn't keep standing up and trying to make sacrifices. He did what? He sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the father. Why did he sit down? Was he tired? No, He was finished. So that once and for all, our sins could be forgiven. Once and for all, it was done. Once and for all, through God's grace and His love for us. And by taking hold of His grace by faith, we've been forgiven. And it's done. We're taken from death to life. He made the sacrifice that would take away sins, that would make us good, that would give us life. And through faith, would make us pleasing again to god you see that i want you to understand something the only goodness that you and i will have or have right now has been given to us by god the only goodness that mankind has ever had you go all the way back to genesis 1 where did our goodness come from? God gave it to us in our first birth, the first birth of humanity. You come through to Jesus when we put our faith in him and we are born again into new life. Where does our goodness come from? It is the gift of God. It gives us our goodness and our purpose and the great pleasure of knowing Jesus. Ephesians 2.1 says it this way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead. Now we know where that death came from, right? Now you read Genesis 2 or Ephesians 2, and you know, oh, I'm dead because of sin, just like my great 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 grandparents were dead because of sin. We're all born into sin and we're all dead. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. But listen to verse 4, and my gosh, here's another great but. But because of his great love for us. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, did what? Made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. And where did it come from? By grace, you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in christ jesus i want you to miss this verse six and god raised us up with christ god raised us up with christ so then the intent of grace and the intent of love and the intent of jesus is not to suffocate us but to raise us up The purpose of grace is to elevate, not to suffocate. I ask you Christians, why are we walking around living as though we have a pillow over our nose and over our mouth rather than rejoicing in the grace of God that has taken us from death to life? It is the good news of the gospel that God has taken us from death to life and He has raised us up with Christ. And what did He do with us? Seated us! Seated us. I know some of y'all were sleeping when we read Hebrews 10, right? But here's the reality. The Bible says that Jesus made the sacrifice and sat down. Why? Because he was finished. It was done. It was sealed. It was through. It was accomplished. And when we come to faith in him and we come alive by the power of his grace. Grace. The Bible says that he then raises us up out of our sin, out of our past, out of our selfishness, out of everything that affects our life in a wrong way. He begins to infuse us with his grace and he sits us down with him in the heavenly realms. So it's finished. It's done. You don't have to strive anymore. You don't have to work anymore. It is done. It's been paid. The sin was paid for once and for all. And listen, you become perfectly suited once again to fulfill your purpose, not by what you've done, but what he's done. He imputes righteousness to you, which is a theological way of saying he gave you the gift of righteousness through his son, through faith, which is not of your own, but was a gift of God. So in other words, he did it all so that you can have life and so that you again could be perfectly suited to fulfill your purpose in him, which is his good pleasure. That's what God has done for us. That for eternity, that in eternity in the coming ages, that you and I would be a demonstration of his grace. That you and I would be a demonstration of his incomparable riches. That people would look at us and go, wow, wow. We would no longer stand jumping Trying to achieve a goal. We no longer stand working day after day after day after day. Doing exhausting labor. Trying to make ourselves good enough. Trying to stack more chips on one side than chips on the other. We no longer strive and work. But we would simply receive. But you know what I don't understand about us Christians. And I'm throwing me in this too. I'm throwing me in this too. What I don't understand about us Christians is this Jesus comes and he brings the goal to us, right? I was actually going to lower the goal down, but it didn't want to work right, so I just didn't. But he brings the goal to us, he brings us righteousness that we can never attain. Listen, he didn't lower the standard. He brought us righteousness that was his and gave it to us. And he says, by grace, you have received my gift of righteousness. But this is what we do as Christians. We go back over to the goal and we go, thank you, Jesus. And we give our life to Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in us. And we don't feel confinement. We feel freedom. We don't feel bondage. We feel liberated. We don't feel like, like we're being suffocated by some religious activity. We feel set free. But after a while, we come to a place and we realize that salvation isn't the end of a journey. It's the beginning of a new life in Christ. And people say, well, you need a Bible. No, no, no. That Bible's not big enough. You need a thick Bible. And, and listen, listen, listen. I know, I know we say come as you are, but okay, it's been a little while. You really need to stop doing that. You really need to start doing this. And pretty soon we begin to move ourselves from his grace into what we can do. And we walk over to the goal that that we had, had been brought to us, that had been given to us. And we begin to try to elevate it again and begin to try to achieve it on our own. Do we not? Is it not the most frustrating thing that God gives us a gift and we enjoy it for a while? Then we set it to the side and try to come up with our own gift. How ludicrous is this? That we try to maintain what we can never attain in the first place. So what do we do? We know that God calls us to become more like himself. We know that Jesus wasn't joking in Matthew 5, 48 when he says, be therefore perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So how do we walk out this life and it actually be life? How do we not fall back into this trap of Constantly, day after day, striving to make ourselves something that we can't make ourselves. I believe this is what Paul's addressing in Colossians chapter 2. Listen to this. And I pray that God would open our eyes. Like some of you literally, God would open your eyes. Some of us figuratively and spiritually, he would open our eyes to receive this and to hear it. Because it's life changing when we realize it is either God's grace or nothing. Colossians 2, verse 6, he says, So then, just as you received Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue in him. Listen, just as you received, right? How did you receive? I hope by faith. I hope no one's taking you captive by letting you believe that you can work hard enough and be good enough to please God. No, it came by faith. True salvation comes by receiving Christ Jesus as Lord through faith. So Paul tells these Colossians, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. How? By faith. By faith. Trusting in him. And he says rooted and built up in him. Rooted and built up in Him. What is rooted and built up? But to say that there's a foundation that's been laid. It's the foundation of Christ. It's the foundation of faith. It's the foundation of grace through faith and salvation that comes through faith. And He's saying be rooted in that. Be built up in that. In other words, don't move from that. Hold on to that. So that every day of your life... It's a receiving of God's grace. When your feet hit the floor in the morning, the thing that you experience is God's grace. When you screw up and you will, you don't go to condemnation if you're in Christ because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But you go to a place of praise because of the grace that is in your life through Jesus. You don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. And you're not going to earn it. But the reality of it is if you'll just receive it, he will implant it. And he'll begin to work it in you. Be rooted and built up in him. Let your roots grow deep in the grace of God. Open your Bible to rediscover his grace. Not to check off a box on your to-do list. Open your, Get on your knees and pray to the Lord. Not so that you can check it off, but so that you can hear the Lord. Speak over your life. That you can feel the grace of God flowing through your veins be a part of the church but listen don't do it begrudgingly do it because the grace of God is worked so mightily in you and I will tell you this our natural orientation our natural uh, direction our natural trajectory is to earn it And we tell this lie all the time that if we put our minds to it, we can do it. I can't dunk that basketball goal right now, no matter how hard I try. No matter how much I put my mind to it, I can't do it. I'd love to do it, but I can't do it. And so many of you today, right now. This is what I found in church and found in Christianity. This is what you want me to do. You want me to stand up here and give you four ways to get your marriage right. You want me to stand up here and give you four ways to make sure your your, your children never get drunk and have sex in the backseat of a car. You want me to stand up here and tell you four ways to be a better employee. You want me to tell you 12 ways that you can, you can, you can become more like Christ. And this is all I got, people. This is all I got. There's one way. And His name is Jesus. And when we grow roots in in his grace and his grace begins to infuse every area of our life, it just changes things. It just works. And I want you to hear this, man, you cannot earn it, you cannot make it work. Listen, there, yeah, you do things, but you do it out of grace. When God's grace begins to infuse you and you begin to quit being so selfish all the time, your relationships just seem to get better. When God's grace infuses you and you realize that, you know what? My past was terrible. There were things done to me that were terrible. There were things that at age nine, 10, 11, whatever it was that I saw and that I experienced that were terrible. But when you realize that God has given you new life and he severed your past from your future and you begin to infuse your life with the grace of God, hope begins to come and change begins to come and he begins to transform your life from the inside out and hope begins to replace Despair and life begins to replace death and before long you look back and you go I don't even know this person that's the work of God's grace that's the power of who he is that when our lives are infused this grace it begins to contact and impact every area of our lives things begin to change we begin not just to have righteousness given to us, but it begins to work itself out of our lives. It becomes not just imputed, it's imparted. It begins to work out of us. And we again begin to walk in His purposes. And we again become perfectly suited to fulfill His will for our life but it comes from being rooted and built up in the grace of God, strengthened in the faith and overflowing with thankfulness. I'm telling you, when we begin to see what God has done for us, everything changes. When His grace infuses every area of our life and we're rooted in it, And we're built up in it. And we just stand in it. And we don't let anybody pull us to the left or to the right. And we don't take our eyes off of Him. We just grow up in Him. The fruit of our life changes. And that is the work of God. Yes, we read. Yes, we study. Yes, we pray. Yes, we fellowship together. Yes, we do a small group. Yes, we serve. Yes, we do all of those things. But it comes from the grace of God. We don't work our salvation in, we work our salvation out because He's given it to us and placed it in us. I just want you to live free in the grace of Jesus. I want to live free. In the grace of Jesus. I don't want to take my eyes off of the glory of his grace. And the power of his life and death and resurrection. My prayer is that Jesus would change our hearts today. We would be rooted and built up in him. Let's pray, God. Thank you. Thank you, God, for loving us, for giving us your son, for pursuing us, Lord. We're opening our eyes to who you are, God. God, I realize that your standard is perfection, that we're called in perfect love, God, to be perfect as you are perfect. And yet, God, we fall so short, and yet it shows me the immeasurable riches of your grace when I realize how far short I come, that I can never elevate myself to the goal. And yet, God, you made a way for me to be elevated in your righteousness. God, root us, build us up in faith. God, help us to live for you. But most importantly, God, help us to live in you. We love you, Father, and thank you for who you are and what you do. I'm going to ask this today. You keep praying. I'm going to ask you today, real quick, you can pray. And if you, if you just pray, If you don't, if you think you don't need prayer, then you pray for other people. Today, I want to ask you this question. You never received the grace of God through faith in Jesus. I'm not talking about being in church. I'm talking about you never received the grace of God through faith in Christ. But you know that today you need to receive Him. You need life. You haven't been living. You've been existing. And you know that you need to be rooted in His grace, forgiven of your sins, to walk with Him and again be perfectly suited to fulfill His purposes through His grace. In other words, you don't know Him. And yet today, you know he's drawing you to himself. You know he's knocking on the door of your heart. And I would ask you this. You want to receive him today. And I ask you, if you will, to, to raise your hand. Stick your hand in the air right now. you need to receive him. Amen. Who else? Raise it up high. You want, will you walk back here and let us pray with you, brother? Amen. Amen. For the rest of us who are sitting here right now. I know that there are people in here who are hurting i know that every one of us in here have things in our life that are not right not just him but just things just stuff our marriages are something with our kids something with our family sickness hurting whatever it may be and this is my encouragement to you let god's grace flow in your life Drink deeply from His grace. Today, the God of the universe loves you. Cry out to Him and let Him fill you with His love. Let Him fill you with His power. Listen, this is what I'll offer you. If you're here and you need prayer, when we're dismissed in just a second, just walk out these side doors. I give you, that says, hey, these are not an exit, but I'm telling you, walk through those signs and go out there and let us pray with you. People are going to be moving. You can go out there and we can. We want to pray with you and help you and ask God to help you. We love you guys and we're thankful for you. God, I pray that your grace would go with us. That we would just cling tightly to you. Open our eyes to see you more clearly. In Jesus' name.